Awesome. Well, thanks, Clark, and good morning, everybody. It's good to, to see you here this morning. Um, like Clark said, if you're a first-time guest with us, thanks for being here. Uh, we count it a privilege that you'd be with us. We hope that you get a chance to um, grab that gift that he was talking about at the Welcome Center, just a way of us saying thanks for being here, and we hope you feel welcome. Um, but like Clark was saying, we're actually continuing in a series now that we've been in for the past couple of weeks. We've been calling God Connect. And uh, if you are just joining us, basically, Here's the premise of the series. The whole series is really about uh, prayer. Simply put, we're talking about prayer, which uh, isn't super surprising, right? Here we are, we're a church, and we're talking about prayer. Seems pretty typical. Um, so what is it in particular about this series um, that we think is so important? What is it, why is it that we think that it's so important to go through this topic of prayer right now? Um, well, uh, what we've been talking about the past couple of weeks is we've been saying that prayer is one of those things in our culture that we found is something that is often advised um, but it is seldom explained. And what I mean by that is this. It, my guess is if you're a person who grew up in a religious background, and I know not everyone in this room grew up in a religious background or considers yourself religious, uh, but if you grew up in a religious background, my guess is that prayer is one of those things um, that you have been advised strongly in. And so you've been taught, you know, if, if, if someone's sick or you need help, you should pray. You got to pray about that. Uh, you've been encouraged to pray. Maybe you've even been guilt-tripped into um, praying. You need to discipline yourself. Are you not praying enough? You need to pray more often. In fact, for some of you, if you kind of grew up in a religious background, even the fact that I'm saying we're doing a series on prayer might elicit feelings of guilt inside of you. You might be, you might be thinking, oh man, I don't, I don't do that very much. I probably need to do that more often. And, and so like I said, prayer is one of those things that is often advised. We're often told we should pray, um, but it is seldom explained. And so in this series, what we want to do is we actually want to back up and we want to ask the bigger questions about prayer. So we, we sort of want to investigate the topic. So the point of this series isn't so much to, to guilt trip you, to tell you, man, you're not praying enough, you need to pray more, you need to discipline yourself harder, you need to grit your teeth and muster up the inner hero and just pray more. That's not really the ambition of this series. Um, our ambition is really this. We want to back up, we want to kind of investigate prayer, ask the big questions about prayer. So for example, like what is it? What, what, what exactly is happening when I pray? Why is it that God desires prayer so much? Is there a right way? Is there a wrong way? How do I know I'm doing it right? And want to ask these really, really big, big questions about prayer. So that's kind of been our heart through this series. Now, if you've been with us for the past couple of weeks, uh, we've looked at some very, I, I would say, shocking things that the Bible teaches about prayer. We've had an interesting conversation in the cafe afterwards about some of the things we've been talking about. If you missed the past couple of weeks, I would really encourage you to catch up on those. You can do that on our website for free. You can either watch the sermons there or you can download the podcast and listen to them on your ride to work or whatever. Uh, but in those, we talk a little bit about what prayer is, about how it works. About And last week we talked about the right way to pray, that Jesus actually says there's a right way to do it and there's wrong ways to do it, which was shocking. And we took a look at that. This week what we want to do is we want to kind of continue in this investigation. And we look at another passage of scripture that I think is relatively shocking as it relates to the topic of prayer. And in this passage we're going to look at today, we see Jesus teaching his disciples, uh, once again, this is how I want you to pray. And like I said, I think you're going to be surprised at some of the stuff that Jesus says. So if you have your Bibles, let's just get right to it. If you want to take them with me, we're going to turn together to Luke chapter 18. Um, so grab your Bibles there. We're going to go to Luke chapter 18 this morning, um, which, by the way, let me just say, if, if you didn't bring a Bible with you this morning, that's totally cool. We actually have some for you. And so uh, in the chairs in front of you, hopefully within arm's reach, you can grab one of those black Bibles. And uh, in those black Bibles, page 731 is where you're going to find Luke chapter 18. So you can grab those. As you're flipping there, it'd probably be good for me to say this as well, that if you are a guest with us this morning, 
and you do not own a Bible, just flat out don't have one, um, and, and, or you don't have a newer translation of the Bible, if you would do us a favor, if you would take one of ours, write your name in it, and make it a gift from us to you, we think it's incredibly important that you own a copy of the Bible. So go ahead and grab that, Luke 18, page 731. Um, if you're a smartphone user, an iPad person, you can also get to the Bible that way. We, we, uh, we strongly encourage something called YouVersion, Y-O-U version. It's a free Bible app, and so you can get there that way. Anyway, however you get there, Luke 18, hopefully you're there now. So let's go ahead and jump in, Luke 18. I'll read this little passage for us, and then after reading the whole thing, we'll circle back around, and we'll go verse by verse and kind of explain the heart and the meaning of it. So Luke 18, starting in verse 1. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. And so he said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Give me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So um, it's a weird parable, right? You read this and, and Jesus is like, I want to teach you how to pray. I'm going to teach the disciples how to pray. I want you to pray and never give up. And then he goes on and tells this bizarre story. And he says, so once upon a time, there was a widow, and she was helpless, and she needed justice, and she couldn't get it. And there was a judge, and the Bible says that he neither feared God nor man, that he was a corrupt man. And, uh, and so this widow kept coming and asking and asking and asking for justice until eventually the guy says, I was so bothered that I finally gave her what he wanted. And then Jesus is like, so that's how you guys should pray. The end. And we're all like, what in the world is Jesus talking about? Now, there's a lot of problems, or I guess I, I, I probably put it, there's a lot of interesting things that we see in this passage that might at first glance cause some problems in our thinking. Uh, let me just mention to us this morning two problems, I think, that might arise when we read this passage, especially as it relates to this series. And I want to spend the rest of our time today talking through those two problems. So here's the two problems that I see in this passage uh, that, that, uh, that directly relate to our series. So number one, here's the first problem. If God is Father, God is Father, how are we to understand the unjust judge? That's problem number one. So um, if you were with us last week, you might remember we said that Jesus actually told his disciples in Matthew chapter 6 that there are right ways to pray and there are wrong ways to pray. It's kind of surprising. So Jesus talked about the wrong ways to pray, but then he said, here's the right way to pray. He said the right way to pray, to understand prayer, the correct way to understand prayer is to understand it in the relational framework that God is your father. God is dad. And he's like, and if you can understand that about God, then you can understand prayer. Okay, well, that makes sense to us, but how are we supposed to reconcile that with this parable where here's Jesus saying, apparently, that God is an unjust judge who is reluctant to give us um, what we deserve, to give us justice? How are we supposed to reconcile that? In this passage, it seems like God is bothered by us. It seems like God is not interested in helping us, that we have to wear him down by our perpetual praying. So how are we supposed to justify that? That's problem number one. All right, here's problem number two. Problem number two is this. What is the difference between persistent prayer and pagan prayer? Once again, last week, you might remember we were talking about the different types of prayer. In this passage, Jesus 
flat out tells us in verse 1, he says, I want to teach you to pray and never give up. All right, well, here's the problem. The problem is last week in Matthew chapter 6, and I'll just show you the verse again. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, and when you're praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the pagans do, for they suppose that they'll be heard because of their many words. So last week we said Jesus doesn't want us to pray with meaningless repetition, that we just keep saying the same thing over and over again like the pagans do, supposing that God will hear us because of our many words. Yet in this very same passage that we looked at today, Jesus is like, I want you to pray and never give up. That seems like it's contradictory, right? Um, how, are we, how are we supposed to justify those two things? So those are the two problems we want to look at today. I believe the first problem is extremely easy to resolve. So we'll talk about that one first. The second one's a little more complicated. And, uh, and so let's, let's deal with the first one first. Let's look again at the passage, understand the parable, and then we'll, we'll talk about that first one. So look again at verse 2. Jesus gives this parable. So Jesus said, remember he wanted to teach his disciples to pray and not give up. It's kind of the point of this. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. It's a very one-dimensional character. Not a lot of character development in this parable. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. All right, so Jesus is setting up this parable, and he says, basically, once upon a time, remember, parables are, are, uh, they are fictitious stories that were made up to basically make a point. So Jesus says, once upon a time, there was a judge. And this judge didn't love God and didn't like people. In other words, he was a corrupt, unjust judge. To which you have to understand, for Jesus' hearers um, in this particular setting, they would have totally been able to relate with that right away. Um, back in this time, particularly in the region that Jesus was teaching in, there were several judges that would have been appointed by the Roman government. And these guys were notoriously crooked. These guys were corrupt. They would easily take bribes from people. They were notorious for withholding justice because they were selfish and they wanted to accrue power for themselves, accrue wealth for themselves. And so when Jesus said, once upon a time there was a judge and he didn't like God, he didn't like people, he was a corrupt guy, his disciples would have been like, yeah, we can totally relate with that. We know a lot of guys like that. And so then Jesus goes on. He says there was a, there was a, a judge who didn't fear God, didn't care what people thought. And he says, and then there was a widow which, again, you got to understand, back in this context in this time, a widow was the antithesis of helplessness. This was the ultimate picture of a person in a helpless situation. Some of you know back in this time, it's very, very unfortunate, but, but women in general were looked upon as second-class citizens. And so many women were considered uh, kind of irrelevant in that society. In addition to that, a widow, they would have been the ultimate picture of helplessness. They would have had no money. They would have had no education. And so here's this widow, helpless. She can't bribe off this corrupt judge. She's not educated enough to figure out the judicial system on her own. And then you have this judge, this corrupt guy, power-hungry guy. He's just you know, in this position of power. So the Bible says that this widow comes over and over again. If you look at verse 3, and the widow came and she kept pleading, grant me justice against my adversary. Now, we don't know exactly how she was dealt with unjustly, but we know she wasn't given the justice she deserved. So she keeps coming to this judge, give me justice, give me justice. And then finally in verse 4, look what it says. For some time he refused. He's like, no, go away. You're annoying me. Insignificant widow, go away. But then look at this. This is, I actually kind of find this humorous. The Bible tells us this inner dialogue he has with himself. But finally he said to himself, you know, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, I just find that humorous that he would think that to him. He's like, you know what, self, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, he's a very self-aware fella. He's like, even though I don't care about that, he says, um, 
He says, you know, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, she's annoying me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually, I love this, come and attack me. He's like, I got I to gotta give this woman what she wants. She's she crazy. She's going to beat me with her handbag if I don't give her what she asked for. The woman's a lunatic. And, uh, and so he's like, so finally I gave it to her. So this is Jesus' parable, right? And then he concludes. He's like, I want to teach you how to pray, okay? He tells this crazy story. And then he concludes. He says, and so the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust says, the unjust judge says, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and they get it quickly. Jesus says, there's your parable, the end. To which we're like, man. This creates a dilemma for many of us because I think for some of us when we read parables, I know this is true for me, when I read parables, I always walk away thinking, okay, someone represents God and like someone represents me. That's how parables work, right? Someone represents someone and stuff like that. So when I read this parable, I'm like, Jesus is teaching about prayer. So apparently, I'm like the unjust widow, or I'm like the widow, because the widow is asking the judge over and over again, does that mean that God is like this unjust judge who doesn't love God and doesn't love people? Like, what is Jesus actually saying here? And so for many of us, we're like, that's really hard to understand, because I thought God is Father. I thought God cared for us. So why is he portrayed in this parable as someone who doesn't care? Well, well here, here, here's really the key to understanding. Like I said, I think this is easily resolved, and it's partially easily resolved by understanding parables in and of themselves. Some of you might know this, but Jesus was a rabbi. Right? He was a Jewish rabbi, and he would have employed uh, the techniques that rabbis in his time would have used. And of course, one of those techniques that rabbis often used was parables. They used parables. There's all types of different parables that are out there. And uh, two of the most common parables that we should never get confused with each other are uh, two, one, one type of parable is called an, analogous, an analogous parable, which argues from analogy. And the other one is something called, we've actually talked about this before, so you might remember, it's called a fortiori argumentation. That's actually a Latin word, a fortiori, but when I, I'm probably saying it wrong, but even when I say it, I can't help but think of the Swedish chef. That's all I can think of. A fortiori. And, uh, but a fortiori. So what's the difference between these, these two types of parables? Well, analogous argumentation, analogous parables argue from analogy. They argue from similarity. So for example, uh, one of the parables Jesus gave, he said, um, he said the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Though it's the smallest seed in the garden, once it's planted, it eventually grows to be the biggest plant in the garden. What's he doing there? That's a parable from analogy. In the same way that the mustard seed starts small and grows big, so the kingdom of God is going to start small and it's going to grow big. That's an analogous parable. What Jesus is employing here is not analogy. He's actually using a fortiori, which argues not from similarity, but from comparison, right? Let me give you an example of another place where Jesus uses this type of argumentation. One of the examples would be in Luke chapter 11. We referred to this passage last week, but I'll just show it to you again. In Luke chapter 11, you can put that on the screen there if you want to. Luke 11, he says this, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If then, though you are evil, see what Jesus is saying here? He's like, listen, you, you fathers, you mothers out there, you know how to give good gifts to your kids. If your son asks for a loaf of bread, you're not going to give him a rock. If he asks for a fish, you're not going to give him a snake, right? So then he says, if you then, who are evil, who are sinful, who are imperfect, who are susceptible to tiredness and weariness and agitation, right, you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more is your heavenly father going to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? 
You see what he's doing here? He's not arguing from analogy. He's arguing from comparison. He's saying, look, if you, who are evil, who are, who are sinful, who are broken people, those, you know, you and I who are parents in this room, we're imperfect parents. We're susceptible to agitation. We're susceptible to selfishness, all of those things. Because we're sinful people, we're sinful. God's not like that. And God says, if you know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more do you think God knows how to give good gifts to his kids? See, that, that's a fortiori argumentation. So in this parable, what do we see? We see a fortiori argumentation. Jesus is not saying that God is an unjust judge who doesn't want to give you justice and is bothered by your prayers. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, if this widow, who is ignored in a helpless situation, by sheer persistence, was able to win the ear of this unjust, wicked judge who didn't love God and didn't love people, how much more do you think that your heavenly Father, who loves you and cares for you, and, and for those of us who follow Jesus, the Bible says we're his children, how much more is he willing to give you the things that you're asking for? So the point isn't that God is like this unjust judge, doesn't care about us. The point is, what Jesus is making is, your persistence. You need to, be pers- you need to pray persistently like this widow does. In the same way that this widow believes with all of her heart that her perpetual nagging and coming after will eventually win the attention of the unjust judge. So in the same way, you, as God's children, for those of us who follow Jesus, and I know not everyone does, but for those of us who follow Jesus, the Bible says he's our father. And how much more when we come to him, is he going to give us the things that we need if we ask him? Now, that's the point. So, first problem, how do we reconcile a loving father with the unjust judge? Well, you've got to understand the parable. Here's a second problem, and a little more complicated. How then do we, do, we, do we explain the difference between petitionary prayer, this persistent prayer we see here, pray and never give up, and pagan prayer? Remember, Jesus said, uh, don't pray like the pagans who use many meaningless words and think that they're going to win God's attention just because they keep repeating the same thing over and over again. Yet in this passage, he's like, I want you to pray and never give up. Well, like I said, that's a little more complicated. Um, but let me take a jab at it. All right? here, here's what I think. I think that part of the answer lies in the story itself of what Jesus said. Think about the story Jesus gave us here about this widow um, and about this judge for just a minute. I think it's a story that most of us can probably relate to to some extent or another. Here you have a helpless widow, right? She doesn't have what she needs. She's being treated unjustly. She has no power in herself to get what she needs. And here you have this judge, someone who's in power, who's corrupt, and is denying her what she needs. I think that all of us, to some extent or another, can relate to that fact pattern in a story in some way. So I was thinking about, even in my own life, when have I been in a similar situation like that? And I started to think, actually, just recently this happened. Um, just about a couple months ago now, maybe a month or two ago, uh, my wife and I had an issue like this. So my wife and I own a minivan. And, uh, and like many of you who are parents, that you, you probably remember buying your first minivan is a very, very hard purchase. I remember we went to the dealership to buy the minivan, and it was so hard because it was sort of like I was mourning my young adult years. I'm like, this is done. Now, now that I have a minivan, like that era is over. I am now a minivan owner, you know? And I, it was sort of like the final nail in the coffin to my dreams of ever having a fast car or a sweet truck. You know, I'm like, it's gone now. But don't get me wrong, my minivan's pretty awesome. I mean, it goes zero to 60, like eventually, you know, over time. <laughs> so it's cool. But we, anyway, we got this minivan, and, uh, and so we're now we're proud minivan owners. And um, so my wife, the, just about a month ago or so, took the van in for a routine oil change. So she took it in, it's all fine and good, and we get the minivan, 
And within hours after getting it back, we realize this thing's leaking oil, right? And so the timing's a little too convenient on that. So I'm like, that's not good. It's like, we need to take it back to that place and make sure that they didn't do something wrong or maybe they missed something or forgot something. So my wife and I took the van back over to the place that, that, that uh, changed the oil. And of course, you know, they, they look at the thing for a couple hours and they give us a call and they go on to tell us that there's a problem with the engine, right? And they explain it to me. I have no idea what they're talking about. Um, they're like, and you have to under, I should probably mention, by the way, at this point in the story, one of the things you need to know about me is that as it relates to all things mechanical, and really most things in general, I am relatively useless. I don't know anything about how to fix anything. Unfortunately for me, I went to school to be a pastor. I put all my eggs in that one basket. I can do nothing else. And so, um, so, I'm, uh, so I have this van, I don't know how to fix it, completely at the mercy of the mechanic. So the mechanic goes on to explain to me what's wrong with the van. I have no, you could be speaking a different language. You know, he's like, the flux capacitor isn't calibrating with the specs on the rotary cuff, and I, don't, I have no idea what he's talking about. So I'm like, fine, fine, bottom line, how much is it going to cost? He's like, it will be exactly $5 million. <laughs> awesome, awesome. So, so I talked to my wife, and we chatted through, and I'm like, look, we, we're at the mercy of these guys. I have no idea. We just got, it's an engine problem. That's, that's apparently a big deal got to get it fixed. So we're like, fine, fix it. And it takes them like a week to fix it because, of course, they have to get some part that's imported from who knows where, like Irian Jaya or something. And so finally they get it fixed. We come to pick it up and uh, pick up the van. Everything's fine. I have to sell a kidney to pay for it. And then afterwards, we get the van at home. And as I'm starting to take stuff out of the van, I come to realize that there was some contents that were in the van when I dropped it off that were no longer in the van now that we had it back. And I was like, no. And in particular, I had, and like I said, I'm not a real handy guy, but I do own a set of tools. And so I had a set of tools in the back of the van, and it was like a really cheap set of tools. It was like a $25, $30 set of tools I got from Walmart. It's practically like a toy kit. But they were my tools, right? And I was mad. So I was like, this ain't right. So I call, I call the mechanic. This is me calling, apparently. So I call a mechanic, and, uh, and of course, he wasn't there. And so I left a message. So this is my, ma I'm like, keep it cool, keep it cool. So I left a message, and it was something like this. It's like, hey, uh, this is Tony Lavigny. Um, not sure if you remember me. I'm the guy with the sweet van. Uh, but anyway, um, there was some stuff in the van, and now uh, when we dropped it off, and now it's not in the van anymore. So I wonder if you could just give me a call. Maybe we could chat about that. Thank you very much. Goodbye. And that was it. So then the next day, um, of course, I don't hear anything. So the next day, I'm like, I'm calling again, man. I'm calling again. So I pick up the phone. I call again. Of course, I get the message. I leave a message. Hey, uh, this is Tony. Not sure you got my message yesterday, but I want to talk to you about some issues with the van. If you get a chance, call me back. I didn't really say it like that, but I was like, fantastic. Bye. Anyway, so this happens. I call the next day, leave a message. The next day, leave a message. The next day, leave a message. I call for a week straight. Finally, I get a hold of the guy. And when I got a hold of this guy and I started to talk to him, his response to me was anything but helpful. So he's, I'm like, uh, I was like, hey, uh, not sure if you got my messages, but I uh, wanted to call because there was some stuff in the van when I dropped it off. It's not there anymore. Um, just wondering if you could help me understand that situation. Maybe it got misplaced, trying to give the benefit of the doubt. And the guy goes, uh, well, what exactly was missing from the van, sir? And I was like, well, in particular, there's a toolkit. I was like, it wasn't anything fancy. It's like a cheap set of Walmart tools. I was like, I don't really, really care about the tools. It's more like the principle of the matter. You know, kind of, I'm like, and I'm not sure what you're going to do about that. And he, this is his response to me. He said, well, I'm not sure what to tell you. 
He goes, because listen, I guarantee you that none of my guys would have taken your tools out of your van. I guarantee you. He said, I personally go around every vehicle at nighttime to make sure it's locked. He's like, and my men are professionals. They would not take anything out of your van. So I'm not sure what to tell you. So I was like, dear Jesus, help me not to say anything that's going to, you know, land me in the newspaper. Just help me to be calm. So I was like, okay. I was like, okay. I was like, all right. I was like, I, was like, I understand what you're saying. I was like, but here's the problem. We got a dilemma because we dropped off the van and there was stuff in it and it's not there anymore. So help me figure that out. And he's like, I promise you, guarantee you, my guys, my guys are professionals. They wouldn't have taken any of van. And then he said, and they wouldn't want cheap Walmart, Walmart to- tools anyway. And I was like, oh, ah, now you're, now you're criticizing my manhood, you know? So, so then, I, then I said, I don't know if this is the right thing to say, but then I said to the guy, I said, I understand what you mean, but you have to admit that it's not outside of the realm of possibility that someone would steal something out of my van. It's not like this is new to human nature, that people steal things, right? So we're talking. And now we're arguing about anthropology and philosophy and the fallenness of man. And, and I, this guy is not relenting. And I'm serious. We go back and forth. And I'm like, I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up. I'm getting my tools back. And so we go back and forth and back and forth. And finally, after 40 minutes, he says, okay, I'll tell you what we'll do. He says, go buy yourself a comparable set of tools, and then we'll reimburse you for your toy set. And he didn't say that, but he might as well have. And... Uh, and I was like, I was like, fine. He's like, is that fine? He's like, that's fine. Thank you. That's all I wanted. And maybe an apology too, but that was all I wanted. So I hung up. I was like, fine. I'm glad that's over with. Well, then I get a call from my wife. And she's like, hey, um, the van is actually leaking oil now worse than it was before. And I was like, Aah! you know, and, uh, and we're like, we got to fix this. So then, I mean, this is uh, just, lo- I, could go, I could go on forever. I'm spending too much time on this already. But basically, the long story short, it took us about three weeks of persistent nagging, going after, until eventually we got what we deserved, right? We finally got the van fixed, like the way it was supposed to be, and I finally got my tools reimbursed. And I promise you, I will never go back there ever again, right? But here's the crazy thing about that story. That story that I told you, which is totally true, is not unlike the story of the widow. I'm in a completely helpless situation. I can't fix anything. And yet, I'm not getting the thing that this guy promised that he would give me. And so I'm in a helpless situation. I have to continue to come back over and over again. Give me what I deserve. Give me, give me what is right. And I'm going to persist until you give it to me. And the widow's doing the same thing. Now, here's what Jesus says. And this is so weird. Jesus says, I want to teach you how to pray and never give up. He's like, there's something in that emotion, if you can capture that emotion, that instructs us how to pray. For some of you, even as I was telling that story, my guess is that your blood pressure was rising as I was telling you that story. Because you can sympathize with that. You can feel like times you've been, or maybe for you, you're, you're putting yourself in my shoes. And you're like, oh man, if I was in your shoes, I would have done what you did. I would have marched right in there. I would have overturned the desk and been like, you give me, you know, I would have burned the place down. And that's the way some of you feel about the whole thing, right? And I think that if that's the way you feel, I think Jesus would say, right, perfect. Stop right there. Capture that emotion, all right? Capture that urgency. Capture that determination. Capture that desperation. And he's like, I want you to pray like that. That's how I want you to pray. Not, not that God is some unjust judge or that he's not giving us what we deserve, But he's like, I want you to pray, man, 
with that determination. I want you to pray with that earnestness. I want you to pray with that urgency, with that fire. That's how I want you to pray. And God says, by the way, I'm not bothered when you pray like that. I'm honored when you pray to me like that. I love that. And I'll be honest with you guys, I was really convicted when I thought about that story because I realized I don't pray anything like that. That, that, little, that little encounter with the mechanic actually taught me a lot about prayer. I was thinking about it in retrospect. I thought to myself, you know, it's fascinating. It's, I, didn't, I didn't call the mechanic because I felt like someone was telling me to do that. It wasn't like I was like one day like, man, I haven't been calling the mechanic lately. I better get on the phone and give him a call again. It wasn't, it wasn't like I was guilt-tripped into it. And nor was it when I got on the phone was I like fighting for things to say. I wasn't like, uh, hey, mechanic, uh... Thanks for being a mechanic. I hope you give me some safe travels today. Amen. That's not how I, I, I knew exactly what I wanted, man. I'm like, you give me what I need. And, and God's saying, yeah, yeah, there's something about that, that there's something about that that can instruct you um, how to pray. There's something about that. What did, what did my wife and I and this widow have in common? Well, I'll tell you what we had in common. This is what we had in common. It was desperate determination. That's what it was. We were desperate. We realized we were in a helpless situation. We did not have what we needed. And we realized that that person had what we needed. And so we were determined. I am not going to stop asking you until you give me the thing that I deserve. Desperate determination. And in the same passage, Jesus says, when you pray, what does this widow have? Man, she has desperate determination. You have what I need. I like the way David Wells put it. David Wells is a, a theologian and a doctor. And he said it this way. I thought it was great. I think he's spot on. He says this. He says, what then is the nature of petitionary prayer? This, this repetitive coming to God prayer. He says, it is in essence, this is so cool, rebellion. He says, it is rebellion against the world and its fallenness. The absolute and undying refusal to accept as normal what is pervasively abnormal. It is, in this negative aspect, the refusal of every agenda, every scheme, every interpretation that is at odds with the norm as originally established by God. You see what, what Wells is saying? This is so good. He says, this is what petitionary prayer is. Petitionary prayer is looking at God's desires for your life, for your marriage, for your relationships, for our church, for the world, and looking at that and saying, this is what God desires, but this is the way things are, and there is a chasm between those two things. These realities don't match. He said, here's what petitionary prayer is. He says, it is rebellion against the status quo, saying, I am not going to accept the fact that things are not the way that God desires them to be. It's God, you have what I need. You better give it to me, because I can't, I can't do it myself. I can't muster it up myself. For some of you right now, in, in, your, in, your, in your marriage, for example, you know, you read the scripture. For those of us who are Christ followers, we read the scripture, and there's a pattern that God has designed for us in marriage, that we are to serve, that it's to be a picture of the gospel in some way, that we're to take our cues from Christ in the church, and we're, we look at this picture of marriage, and it's this idealistic picture. It's incredible. And then we look at our own marriage, and man, it's, it's full of sin and selfishness and brokenness. And a lot of times what we do is we just resign ourselves. That's just the way it's going to be. And Jesus says, I want you to pray and never give up. Look, look, you come to me and you ask, God, my marriage is nowhere close to where you want it to be. I am so far 
from, the, from where you desire me. And I, ha I have no ability in and of myself to actually do anything about it. I, I look in my heart, all I see is selfishness. I don't have a pure motive in my body. So you better give me what I need because if you don't give me what I need, then I am doomed. And God says, now we're talking. Now you're praying. For real, now you're praying. For some of us, there's issues in your lives. There's patterns of sinful behavior, addictions that are happening, the same struggle you've been going through over and over and over again. And, and you look at God's desires for your life, that the way that God wants you to, to live the righteous life that God desires for you, and you look at your life, and it looks nothing like that. And a lot of times, you know what we do? We resign ourselves. We say, well, that's just the way it's going to be. And I, I'm never going to overcome this. And we give up. And Jesus says, I want you to pray and never give up. I want, you, I want you to come to me, and I want you to say, God, I see what you want from me, and my life is nowhere close to where you want it to be. And so I, I, I realize that I have no power in myself to generate something to make this happen. So you better give me what I need. Because if you don't give me what I need, I'm doomed. Jesus is like, I'm not bothered by that prayer at all. I'm honored by it. I'm honored. Some of you are trying to, to live a life that honors God, for those of us who are Christ followers, in a hostile environment, whether it be your family or your workplace or wherever it is, and it's hard. It's a difficult thing. And sometimes what we do is we eventually, we just resign ourselves. Well, I guess this is the way it's just going to be. I'm not going to make any difference and nothing's ever going to change. And God looks at us and says, no, no, don't. I, Jesus says, I want you to pray and don't give up. Don't give up. God desires something for you. So you beg him. Come to him. God, I don't have what I need. You have what I need. I am desperately dependent that you give me what I need. Jesus says, I love it when you pray that way. You guys, for our church, for our church, you know, it's easy for us to look around at our church and say, man, you know, church in America today, 85% of churches are either stagnated or declining. Many, most churches aren't doing a good job reaching the community with the, with, the, with the gospel. And we can look at that and just say, well, that's just the way it is. Our culture just doesn't like God. They're just not into God. And we can resign ourselves. And Jesus says, don't give up. Look, come to me. Ask me. I'm, I'm longing for you to come to me and say, God, give, give us what we need. See, in this passage, I think it's amazing that Jesus flat out tells us why he gives this parable. In verse 1, he says it just boldly. He says, I'm telling you this parable to show you that you should always pray and never give up. Jesus says, I'm going to show you this parable so that you always pray and that you never give up. Why did Jesus want to tell us that we should always pray and never give up? Here's why. Because he knows we give up. And we give up so quick. And I think for some of us, when we look at our prayer life, it's like, we're, we're like, yeah, you know, my prayer life is consistent of, like, God bless this food and give me a safe trip. And not that those things are wrong to pray for. Pray for everything. But man, our prayers are so small. You know, we, we're, we're not actually, and I think, I think the whole, this is why I think the whole crux of the matter, you know what I think the crux of the matter is? I think Jesus points it out. If you look down at verse, um, at verse eight, in fact, if you could put verse eight on the PowerPoint real quick, verse eight, this is what Jesus says. I love this summary. He says, I tell you the truth. He says, um, God will see that they get justice quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? on the earth. That's the real issue, isn't it? Why is it that we give up so quickly? It's because we don't actually believe. It's because we don't have faith that God's actually going to answer these things that we pray for. And I'll just be honest with you guys. I see this in my own life. We are so quick to exhaust every option. And then after every option is exhausted, maybe then as a last resort, we'll go to prayer. And you hear it in the way we talk. 
will say things like, well, I tried everything I could. I went on the internet and I did some research and I worried about it and I did all this kind of stuff. I talked to my mom, I talked to this person, I talked to these friends, and then finally I realized there's nothing I can do about it. So I said, well, there's nothing I can do. So I guess all we can do is pray. And Jesus is like, don't pray like that. That's lame. He's like, pray to me with this, with this dependence. It shouldn't be a last resort. It should be your first response to things, to come to God boldly. But instead, what we do is we'll go everywhere else but to God. And why is it? It's because we don't believe it. You know, a lot of times we'll worry about it. And do you guys ever think about worry? Worry is, by the way, is just petitionary prayer directed to ourselves. That's all worry is. We're just taking that request to ourselves over and over again, hoping that somehow we'll come up with a solution. And that's why Jesus says, look, don't be anxious and worry about anything, but pray and trust God for it. David Wells, let's go to him again. I love what he says here. He, he gives uh, the end of this quote. He says, to pray declares that God and his world are at cross purposes. So he says, to pray is to say that what God wants and what's really happening on earth are at cross purposes, that there is a chasm between those two things. And then he says, to sleep or to faint or to lose heart is to act as if they are not. Why then do we pray so little for our local church? He just gives an example here. He says, is it that our technique is bad or our wills are weak or our imaginations are listless? I don't believe so. He goes on, there is plenty of strong-willed and lively discussion, which in part or in whole may be justified about the mediocrity of the preaching, about the emptiness of the worship, about the superficiality of the fellowship, about the ineffectiveness of evangelism. So why then, I love this, don't we pray as persistently as we talk? And then he, ah, oh, this is so good. Look what he says. The answer, quite simply, is that we don't believe it's going to make any difference. We accept, however despairingly, that the situation is unchangeable and that it always will be. I, I love what he, what's he saying here. He's saying, listen, here's the problem. Jesus says, I want you to pray and never give up. Don't you give up. Don't stop. For many of us, when we look at our lives, we look at our situations and we look at what God desires for us and we see that it's not what it ought to be, we give up. We're like, oh, well, I guess that's just the way it's going to be. And Jesus says, don't you do that. Don't you do that. And you pray, you don't give up. Desperate, desperate determination. God, you have what I need. And if you don't give it to me, man, I'm doomed. God's like, I love that prayer. I love it. Pray to me that way. Determination. So what is the difference between persistent prayer then and pagan prayer? Well, quite simply, it's this. When Jesus tells us not to pray like the pagans, which is with meaningless repetition, the key there is meaningless, right? It's not that God is condemning repetition. He wants us to come to him often and frequently. That's what he wants us to do. But he wants us to pray with our whole heart, with everything, not just words coming off of our mouth, but our whole spirit engaged with him our whole soul crying out, God, you have what I need. If you don't give it, I'm doomed. And he says, that's how I want you to pray. I love it when you pray that way. It's strange, but it's what he says. Come to me with persistence. I said, I'm gonna ask the band to come up and uh, close us out, but as they do, let me just close with two, two quick challenges for two quick audiences, and then we're done, all right? First and foremost, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, and like I said, I know not everyone in here is a follower of Jesus, but for those of us who are followers of Jesus, I just want you to simply ask this question. What does your prayer life look like? What does it look like? Because I believe, I honestly believe, that the size of your prayers 
uh, it reveals the size of your God, how big you believe your God is. And for some of us, I think our prayer lives, man, they're just, it's full of a lot of nominal things, which is not bad. We should come to God with everything. But it's not full of the big things, where he's like, you come to me, you don't give up, man. You come after me. What is it that you're begging God for? You begging him for something? If you're not, Jesus is like, man, you come to me that way. It doesn't offend me. I'm honored by it. It's weird, but it's what he wants. And so for you, what's your prayer life look like? Are you coming to Jesus in this way? If you're not, maybe just take the time that we have here. Just a minute, I'm going to give you time to pray. This might be the only time you have this whole week that's dedicated towards this. Just talk to God. Say, God, I don't pray like this. Help me pray. That's a great prayer. God is so willing to answer that one. Teach me to pray. For those of you who are not followers of Jesus, if you're investigating Christianity, and like we always say, if you're a person that's in that particular position, we count it an honor um, that you would let us be part of that investigation. We know you can go anywhere you want, and we're just thankful that you've come to, to investigate with us. If that's the case, I know for you that today's conversation may actually bring up more questions than answers. And if that's the case, I just want to, I want you to consider two things. First thing is this. Consider how unique it is uh, compared to every other religious system that's out there that this is a God who says, I actually want you to pray this way. I want you to come to me with boldness and audacity. I want you to come to me shamelessly, and I want you to beg me. That's a little strange. That's very, very different. That's unique to any other system that you see out there. And if that's the case, I would just encourage you, lean into that a little bit. If you're going to investigate, investigate the uniqueness of the claims that we see in the Bible. And the other thing is this. I would encourage you in your investigation, if you have more questions than answers, um, write us a note. We'd love to sit down, grab a cup of coffee with you. Someone from our staff would be glad to sit down and hear. We can't promise we have answers, but we'd love to sit down and talk to you. And I would encourage you to come back next week as we close down this investigation on prayer. Let's pray together, and then I'll give you a chance to pray. Jesus, I just want to say thanks for your word to us this morning. It's, uh, man, it's life-giving. Um, Jesus, you, uh, you introduced some really crazy ideas to us about what it looks like to interact with you. God, because you're Father, I can come to you boldly, audaciously, and shamelessly. And it's not that you're offended by that or put off by that, but you love that. How cool is that? And God, I ask for forgiveness for myself and how, how um, faithless my prayers are. God, I ask you that you would give us a fire. You know, your word says, you, you said to us, Jesus, that if we ask anything according to your will, that it will be given to us. For those of us who are called your children, who follow you, and God, why don't we do it? I think it's because we don't believe it. You have, you have things in store for us, God. I pray like you asked today that we would not give up. Don't let us give up. God, we resign ourselves to the fallenness of this world. It's unacceptable. We pray like you did, Jesus, that your kingdom come and your will be done on this earth, right here in real time, as it is in heaven. God, give us hope. For some of us, we need it. We're walking in here limping today, and we need to walk out with some hope. I pray you'd give it. You have what we need. I pray you'd give us a spirit of tenacity and shameless persistence that we come to you with such grit, God. You have what we need, and we're not leaving until we get it. Not because you're, you're some unjust judge who, who, who is, who is uh, annoyed by us, but because you're our Heavenly Father and you love us. So build our faith. Generate it inside of us, I ask this morning, through your word, 
and through your spirit. I pray these things in Christ's name.